0: we mm-hmm. Hey how's it going everybody? this is Chris. Welcome to episode 177 of X Lapsed uh, and I just got back from the comic store here. It's weird. I haven't been like a regular Wednesday Wednesday warrior. is that what we call ourselves or used to call ourselves? I don't know. I haven't been one of those in quite a long time since I've been with uh, I've been with DCBS for boy. Um, I want to say a decade at this point. Yeah, I started right around the time of the New 52, which reminds me that it's been a decade since the New 52. Where the hell did my life go? Anyway, I went there because today Marvel released a uh, free preview, or a—I uh, think they call it a guidebook for the Hellfire Gala uh, event. And, uh, you know, you never know what to expect when you get like a little freebie. Sometimes it's just a little pamphlet. Sometimes it's just, you know, the, the most... Uh, Blatant and transparent advertisement. Um, other times, they give you a whole grip of information. And here, I, I haven't had a chance to actually sit down with it, but I did flip through it a few times here. And uh, this thing looks like it's full of information. Um, it's a, it's also a, quite a thick little package. Uh, very nice to uh, to see something like this. I don't know if we'll uh, dedicate an entire episode to the guidebook. Um, we'll have to you know take a look at it first and see if. Uh, See exactly what's what here Uh, If anybody out there has taken a look at this uh, Let me know if you want us to uh, dedicate an entire episode to it And if you don't have it, uh, well, there's no reason not to get it, it's free So if you're in the comic shop, it'll probably be on the counter You just pick it up and uh, maybe we'll talk about it uh, in and of itself uh, somewhere down the line But uh, today, we have kind of a special episode I mean, aren't they all? But uh, we are going to be introducing a brand new title and some brand new characters Makes me remember how when we started this I was talking about like Oh, this is wave 1 and wave 2 I don't even know what wave we're on now I'm not sure if this would be part of the previous wave or starting its own wave But uh, today we finally meet the Children of the Atom And of course that'll be in Children of the Atom number 1 Which has a May 2021 cover date The story is called Uncanny Uncanny Written by Vida Ayala, with art by Bernard Chang. Colors, Marcelo Maiolo. Letters, VCs, Travis Lanham. Designs, Tom Muller. Head of X's Hickman. Edits, Andrews Belastaros. Robinson, White, Sobalski. Cover price, $5, because this is a number one. And this one went on sale March 10th of 2021. This is, this kind of kicked off my Wednesday warrior-ness here, because uh, DCBS wouldn't let me order this book because it was, uh, Cancelled and resolicited like seventy-five times this past year, so I went out and I bought it, and then in my next uh, DCBS shipment, it was in there too. So I've got two of these. Uh, if anybody wants a copy, a, a pristine copy, uh, probably a, a twelve-point-three grade uh, at at worst, uh, copy of Children of the Atom number no. one. Just uh, let me know. Now we open with Hell's Bells in the midst of an armored car robbery. Now, you might be asking yourself, uh, what in the hell are the bells that we're talking about here? Well, they were a group of baddies from the middle portion of Peter David's X-Factor run back in the, uh, you know, 1991-1992. And I want to say the first time I ever heard of them. I think it was an, a line item in a wizard price guide where, it, you know, showed the, you know, the issue and said it was their first appearance. And, uh, it was before I went back and collected all those issues. Now, they were three mutants, named Flambe, Vague, and Tremolo. They were all depowered after M-Day, which is why they're all using real weapons at this point. The baddies are then confronted by our titular heroes. Though, I guess in fairness, they never do refer to themselves as the Children of the Atom, but uh, that's what we're going to be calling them. Uh, Now, narration comes to us from Beatrice Bartholomew, or Buddy for short. She is Cyclops lass. She discusses how she's always felt kind of different, but feels as though she's found her people in the X Men. And this uh, feels a little bit meta to me, um, kind of playing with the established X fan lore. You know how X fans are um, kind of outcasts, right? And we're all we're all a little bit different. We want to find somewhere we can belong. So I feel like maybe we're uh, tugging on some meta strings here. I could just be reading too much into it, or. Possibly projecting, who knows From here, double page spread of roll call, and cred We got five brand new characters We got Cherub, Marvel Guy, Cyclops Lass, Gimmick, and Daycrawler From here, we get like a half dozen pages of fight scene And, well, it's it's kind of all over the place Uh, I mean, it looks nice I mean, Bernard Chang is a, a wonderfully talented artist here And everything looks wonderful but it's just that we're dealing with a bunch of unfamiliar characters jumbled all over the place here We've got these new characters, we've got the Hell's Bells who, I mean, could, could anybody point those, those, uh, those three out of a lineup? I don't think so And I may, maybe, maybe the confusion might be intentional, but I wouldn't bet on it Now Hell's Bells comment that they look like they're fighting kids in Halloween costumes, which is a fair point Uh, These uh, costumes are very evocative of an X-Men fan's O.C., or original character. Please don't steal. We got Daycrawler, who is, duh, our Nightcrawler alike, and he bamfs around a whole bunch. He's wearing a black and red take on Nightcrawler's, like, classic costume, and he's got a motocross-looking helmet covering his face. Worth noting that the costume makes it appear as though he has a tail... And also Nightcrawler's hands and feet, so like the two-toed feet and stuff like that We got Cyclops last, who delivers an optic blast But it looks as though she has to press a button on her visor in order to do so Which, back in the long ago, Cyclops himself had to do as well When the artists and writers remembered, anyway But I feel like this is something we're supposed to be noticing You know, noticing that she's doing something to trigger this, uh, this optic beam we're going to talk a lot more about that later. Anyway, Cyclops Lass is the Cyclops looking girl uh, who's wearing a riff on the Jim Lee Volume 2 era Cyclops costume. You know, the one with all the belts and whatnot. A gimmick hurls what looks like charged pins at the bad guys, and she would appear to be cosplaying as Gambit. She's wearing almost exactly his original outfit trench coat, pink shirt, stuff like that. Cherub is our archangel alike. Uh, And not Angel, Archangel. Now, he's got these odd, like, see-through wings of light, kind of? And he's dressed in a very late 80s, early 90s era Archangel costume. He, too, is wearing a helmet. And he would appear to be, like, the most matter-of-fact of of this crew. Uh, The rest of the team seems like they're having fun. Like, this is, like, an adventure for them. This is what they've wanted to do, whereas... He is a little bit more stoic. He sees this as a more serious mission where there are things that uh, could be lost here. Finally, we've got Marvel Guy, who when I first saw him on the cover and in some of the the hype materials here, I thought he was going to be a take on Beast because he is a, a burly fellow. But, I mean his name is Marvel Guy. And it looks like he might actually be a riff on Jean Grey, though maybe he's both. Who knows? Uh, he doesn't do all that much during the actual battle until the very end where he uses his psychic suggestion to shut down the Hell's Bells, like puts them to sleep. We learn here that Daycrawler is his actual brother as well. It says little brother. Later on, they're going to say something about twins. That's a little bit confusing. I don't know if they're talking about these two being twins or another set of twins, but we'll we'll get there. We're not going to talk much about it, but we'll get there. Now, our kids celebrate the fact that they won their first battle. Then, they all put their hands on Daycrawler's shoulders so he can bamf them all out of there. Right here, we go to an info page, and it's a forum page from Mutants Unmuted. Which, geez, I, I want to say we haven't seen this since, like, the very early days of Dawn of Excalibur, where uh, Richter was uh, surfing the web uh, to learn a little bit more about uh, his change in powers. Now, this is sort of like an old-school BBS-style wiki entry, and it's all about the Hell's Bells. It uh, looks like this is just being added to this database here, and the author of this post is listed as Archivist X. And uh, we'll find out who that is before the, the end of this issue. We resume with our children down some alley somewhere, where they talk about how well this mission went. Then, Pixie, Magma, and... Maggot show up? I think a certain certain Mr. Bevins is going to be very, very happy to hear that We got maggot! A maggot appearance Now the kids refer to these three as the X-Men Which, I mean, do I even need to say that there are no X-Men right now? Again? I mean, I think I say that like every other episode Also, come on, these three? X-Men nowadays? Eh, Oh well Our C and D listers congratulate the kids on a job well done And the kids are totally fanboy and fangirling out here. Which makes sense, considering what big fans they are of the X-Men, that, you know, even some of the less popular characters ought to get a pop out of them. Now, after the Mutual Admiration Society simmers down a bit, Magma asks why they aren't living on Krakoa, and then asks if they'd heard the call. Now, of course, that call is from Hoxpox where Xavier invited all mutants home to Krakoa. Maggot suggests that maybe they just hang out at Hellfire Bay. And I mean, aren't has, hasn't it been established that there's like 200,000 mutants living on Krakoa? It might stand to reason that maybe Magma just hasn't seen these five before? I don't know. Cyclops last hesitates before revealing that, of course, they heard the call. It's just that they got some stuff they need to attend to before they leave, right? They got school. Uh, Magma's like, hey, wait a second... We could just beam all that knowledge that you need into your head. So school is just a waste of time. You can come home with us now. Cyclops' last encounters with, well, you know, we've we've got families and stuff. And Magma's like, okay, I get it. We're never going to force you to come to Krakoa, but the doors always open. And heck, you know, you don't got to live there to visit, so how about we go visit? Just then, sirens begin to sound, and the police are headed toward the fight site. And, since we're living in a post-Kamala's Law Marvel universe, as we discussed when we looked at Champions, and we'll discuss again when we look at Power Pack, teenage heroes have been banned. Magma invites the children through the portal to show them around Krakoa, but our kids don't follow. Instead, they bamf away. Scene shift to Summer House on the moon. We've got Wolverine, Cyclops, Nightcrawler, Storm, and Jean all shooting pool, drinking beer, and talking About these new young mutants Logan is adamant No pun intended That they go fetch the kids and bring them home Cyclops reminds them that they can't do that Because that's not what Krakoa is all about Jean states that Pixie had reported in That the kids had their reasons for not coming And maybe we ought to respect them Logan posits that uh, Maybe they don't realize that they're welcome You know, and Scott's all Come on, of course they know Aurora suggests that they try and speak with them again you know, things are tough for mutants and young heroes overall at this point. And even if they decide not to come, at least they'll know that they have, you know, Krakoa's support. Jean says that she tried tracking them down using Cerebro. But, wait for it, they're not showing up in any scans. Scott then asks, how could that, how could that ever be possible? Which totally disregards the obvious. You know, like, maybe that these kids aren't mutants Uh, I hope they're not inhumans, but, uh, maybe they're they're not mutants Nightcrawler notes that there's a psychic among them And suggests that perhaps they're blocking Cerebro Which, I mean, if an inexperienced kid can block Cerebro, then really, who couldn't? That's not really great Wolverine mentions that these kids are acting recklessly Storm agrees and brings up the point that, right now, they don't even know if these kids could get resurrected, because, you know, there's no... Cerebro's got nothing on them, so they got no backups. Storm would really like the opportunity to go chat with them. Cyclops is a bit flustered, worried that Storm is talking about maybe kidnapping them, to which Jean's like, hey, calm down, Scott, it doesn't have to be one extreme or the other here. There, There is some middle ground here. Storm says she will speak with the young X-Men, which... There are no X-Men right now. And also, Young X-Men was a horrendously dull comic book back in the long ago that I don't want to be reminded of. Next up, a scene shift to Corbeau Prep in Brooklyn. Now, I'm not sure if this school is named after a longtime friend and associate of the X-Men, Peter Corbeau, though we might assume that it is. We're in the gym where the Corbeau Pigeons basketball team are practicing. Beatrice, Cyclops' lass, and Carmen, gimmick, are in the stands chatting. We find out here that, a uh, Common has some tickets to a Dazzler concert and wants to bring Beatrice with her. This discussion is overheard by some, uh, well, straw-man bigoted boys who warn them that, uh, Dazzler is, you know, a mutant. Yeah, welcome to 19-friggin'-82, you dicks. Um, the girls are accused of being mutie lovers and perhaps even mutants themselves. Well, they might wish they were, I mean, for all we know. The boys then threaten them with physical violence Before the coach overhears this and throws them out I do want to note that we are in a gaggle of nine panel grid pages here You know how much I love those Earlier, we had some pages like this uh, That were supposed to be read from left to right all the way across two pages If if I'm explaining that uh, in a way that's easy to understand It's... It's melding my mind just trying to put, put it into words here But like you start on one side of the page You go to the other And then you continue on the adjoining page Here it's not initially clear Which direction we're supposed to be reading them in But it's, uh, it, it actually turns out to be the more traditional You know, three across, then down Three across, then down Three across, then next page um, This is likely much more apparent When you're reading the digital version of the book I would guess um, And we're going to talk a bit about the digital version In just a little bit So, Carmen remarks that she's designing an outfit for the concert in order to honor the sound queen, Dazzler. We figure out here that she's the one designing the Kota costumes. Uh, She's still tweaking the designs a bit. She says she has to fix the twins' overalls, which I don't know if that means that there's a pair of twins in her family who she uh, sews and darns for, or if Marvel guy and Daycrawler are actually twins, despite, you know... One being massive and one being tiny, Yeah, I mean, I guess they're just not identical, if that's the case. She also fixed Cyclops' lass's visor so it wouldn't slip. Uh, Beatrice notes that Gabe's shoulder guards looked great as well. Now, Gabe is cherub, so maybe those shoulder guards have something to do with his wings. I really don't know. We We are building a mystery here. We are building a mystery. They talk a bit about Mutants Unmuted, and it's made clear here that Buddy is Archivist X. Carmen asks when she finds the time to sleep. She also suggests that, uh, you know, nobody uses the resource that she's spilling all of her time into anyway, which I feel personally attacked. I mean, that hit me where it hurts here. Uh, (laughs) A big part of what I do, uh, with the prolificity in which I do it, is uh, is assuaged by the belief, uh, as misguided as it might be, that I'm building a resource. You know, things at Chris's on Infinite Earths, even things here at X-Labs, it's all about building a resource that will be here for people to check out at any point and uh, maybe get something out of. And yeah, like, uh, like Carmen says, uh, a lot of people don't care about it as much as I try to tell myself otherwise. Now at this point, Gabe, or Cherub, he walks onto the basketball court and Buddy goes a bit fuggy. Seems she's got the hot pants for him. Carmen asks if she's okay, then hesitates a bit before referring to her as her best friend, which is kind of weird. So Buddy's got the hot pants for Gabe, but she's not going to pursue it because she sees he and Carmen as having some sort of far deeper connection. Let's go down to the court. We meet a new character, and it's a dude named Cole, We learn that he nearly died not too long ago, but he's back now and seemingly better than ever. He almost seems superhuman. Perhaps he's a mutant. I guess we'll have to wait and see. Next up, an info page. It's more Mutants Unmuted, and we see that there's a link to a video of Wolverine fighting Ghost Rider, which. crud, does that mean I gotta track down an issue of Ghost Rider? There's also a video of Dazzler and Jumbo Carnation hanging out in Tribeca, because why not? There's some forum posts here about how the Krakoan gates work. How you gotta be a mutant, or Franklin Richards, I suppose. Otherwise, you just pass right through, not going anywhere. Okay, let's tangent for just a minute. Got a question I want to ask here that might be the most stupid question in the world, but it's one that hit me really hard when I was reading this info page here. Has there ever been another era of X-Men comics that have been so... What's the opposite of Timeless or Evergreen? I I mean, if you read any X-Book from this era, anything from 2019 till whenever this, uh, this Krakoan era ends, you almost need to take a prerequisite course to understand it all. Now, people have often said, I mean, I've been an X-Men fan for 30 years, and I've always heard people go, "Ah, man, I can never get into the X-Men. How can an outsider ever hope to get in? And I never saw it as being all that labyrinthine. Uh, And now, here we are with the uh, the Pox era, where I've read every page of everything that's come out to this point and have talked, (laughs) I've spent hundreds of hours talking about it. And here I am agreeing with these people where it's like, you know what, if you tried coming into these books now, Lord help you, I don't know, you'd have to read everything. You, you couldn't just pick up this issue, right? This is, an, this is an issue number one, you couldn't just pick this up fresh. Or you couldn't, in theory, you might not be able to like just revisit this book somewhere down the line. Like ten years from now, if I come back to Children of the Atom number one, I'm not going to have any of the uh, gestalt-y context to understand the finer points of it. I don't I, like here. You need to know what the gates are, right? I mean, it's not a hard thing to under, hard thing to understand, but it's like it's a big deal. Um, it's I don't know. It's kind of weird. I, I do wonder how time will wind up treating this era. I wonder how we will remember it, though. I, I guess I mean the head of X still has a bit of a cult personality to him, so it'll probably be fine. From here, we jump back into comics middle of the night, and it looks as though our heroes are preparing to finally head off to the mutant homeland. Buddy leaves her father, who has raised her and has always supported her. She justifies leaving by suggesting that, uh, you know, this is what he would want for her to do. The Kotas meet in front of her house. They hop on the L train and then arrive at the Coney Island Krakoan Gate, which is under the boardwalk. They change into their X-Men cosplay costumes and step through the portal. We get a weird page with, uh, you know, like some shattering effect. And then they wind up stepping out the other side. Looks like they can't use it. Or can they? Hmm. I mentioned the digital version a little earlier here. Here's something weird for you. If you're not aware, and if you're listening to the show, you're probably already aware, it would appear as though the print and digital versions of this issue have a different final page. Uh, the digital version shows the characters sort of. It almost looks like an amalgamated Krakoa Coney Island. Like I told you, they're under the boardwalk, right? Where there are beams, you know. It's like a big long deck uh, over the water, but instead of beams, they're trees. You know, uh, so it looks like they're in like a lush greenery where they're. I mean, they're on a Brooklyn beach, so there's there's no you know big you know sprawling trees here, no foliage. But the Cyclone roller coaster is still visible in the background. I don't know if this is symbolic of these uh, characters being something not quite human and also not quite mutant. I really haven't the fo- foggiest here, and uh, I guess we're going to have to wait until next time or the time after that to get some answers. But I, uh, I guess I'm intrigued. I think I'm more intrigued by why, uh, why they changed the page. Here. The, the, the print page, if you're looking at the print version here, it's very clear, at least to me. That they just stepped through the gate They stepped through it, they're still in Coney Island It just looks like they're on the other side Of the gate The digital one though It's a little bit more stylized and a little bit more confusing It has the same dialogue, it's just the picture The full page spread is different as all. Well. But that's where we leave this uh, Giant sized issue uh, Next time we're going to be talking about X-Factor number 8 We're going to find out what's haunting the Boneyard So looking forward to that But for now, let's talk about the Kotas. This is a book that is a, uh, a lesson in not judging a book by its cover here Because looking at this I assumed that this book was going to introduce the concept of the Chimeras To the current year Marvel Universe, right? I mean, these characters, at first blush Would appear to be amalgamations or flat-out copies of established mutants Of course, it is a bit more complicated than all that uh, Our friend Evan Bevins actually wrote a piece recently Talking about the, uh, the all-new, all-deadly X-Men From, uh, I think it was like 1997, 1998-ish It was after Operation Zero Tolerance um, It was also the story that I believe brought back uh, Kitty, Colossus, and Kurt To the X-Men from Excalibur As, a, as that book had just been cancelled There we met a, we met like six or seven characters here I'm trying to pull up the list here I'm trying to vamp as I do this here And they looked like amalgamated versions of uh, established characters, which is something that Evan uh, pointed out in uh, in his blog post. And upon checking that out, I was instantly reminded of the cover to Children of the Atom, number one here, where it's like, okay, these characters look very familiar. I mean, Cyclops Lass is basically, you know, wearing the Jim Lee Cyclops costume, right? It's very, very similar. Uh, Of course, you know, like I said, it's a bit more complicated than all that So let's theorize It's kind of what we do here uh, fairly often So let's see what we can break this down And see if we can make some uh, outlandish theories (laughs) Um, Now, let's start with the idea that these kids are human Okay How would they be able to do the things that they do? We've seen them in action here Uh, Daycrawler is bamfing you know, we have optic beams, we have a kid who can fly, we got gimmick charging things like Gambit does. How could they do this? Surely, Carmen, as the seamstress or costume design designer hobbyist, she might have the ability to put an optic beam blaster into a costume visor, right? I mean, don't know where she'd get it from. I don't know that you'd be able to create a teleportation device To put into Daycrawler's gear I mean, I'm just freestyling here um, So how could they have access to this tech? Well, let's assume for a moment that it is tech That these aren't powers, that this is technology Now it's kind of a deep cut But I am reminded of uh, the post-House of M, post-Civil War uh, Initiative-era New Warriors team. Now, this is a team that was largely comprised of depowered mutants who were wearing suits that gave them powers. They weren't the same powers that they would have here, but they were powered. These suits gave them powers. We had characters like Jubilee, Chamber, Beak, Wind Dancer, Angel Salvador, Stacy X, some others, too, who were put into these suits or who wore these suits and uh, and were able to... Exhibit powers You know, Jubilee went by the codename Like Wandra, I think And, uh, you know, she didn't have her path paths so It was a different thing But, the, the I mean, the point I'm getting to here Is that she was powered So could it be that our Kota kids Have gotten a hold of some of this sort of tech? You know, uh, they do idolize the X-Men or At least Buddy seems to So it might stand to reason That they would pursue something like this Or manage to find it Um... Let's go another route, though. Let's say it's not tech. Let's say it's something else. Does anybody remember MGH? It's another semi-deep cut. Uh, this is mutant growth hormone. This was a concept that was also thrust into the spotlight around the time of Civil War. I want to say Nitro, the fellow who kicked like the whole Civil War thing off by blowing up a bus in a park in Stamford, Connecticut during a fight with the New Warriors... I think he was high on MGH to amplify his powers at that point Which made it so he was able to Boom bigger, I guess uh, MGH would become something of a street drug After that, which would give ordinary humans Mutant powers after use Could that be what we got here? I really don't know I guess what I'm getting at here is that The fact that we're asking questions is a good thing You know, we certainly shouldn't be expecting All the answers in the very first issue of a Mystery-based series here I think... When we looked at a uh, Marvel previews, I think it might be the one for uh, June of this year, which we'll be talking about at length uh, at some point next week on the program. I think there is a line in the Children of the Atom issue that says uh, that we find out who and, uh, and what they are. So we're not going to have to wait long. We're not going to have to wait long here. I'm just hoping uh, that they are not inhumans, because I really don't want to see that. I don't have a whole heck of a lot to say about the characters themselves yet We don't know them well enough to really say much I do uh, sympathize with uh, with Buddy Being quite enamored with the X-Men uh, Obsessed with the X-Men And maintaining a database that nobody cares about In order to, uh, I don't know, show her fandom Or just add to the lore herself Or just do something to make herself feel a little bit closer To this team and these people who she, uh, Who she idolizes here I, I like that as a uh, character beat. Um, we see, I think, a lot of the new characters that we see are of the fanboy, fangirl variety. I think those are the new point of view characters. I mean, we've seen it with uh, with Ms. Marvel, you know, where she's kind of just like really a huge fan of basically every character she sees. Um, I think uh, I think Naomi is like that over in DC. It's yeah, it's it's a trope now. It's just, uh, I guess it's a sign of the times But the way they're doing it with Buddy here Is a bit different She's actually creating something, right? This database that nobody cares about She's creating it She's pouring her heart into it She's pouring her time into it And uh, it's all in the name of uh, of her fandom Of her obsession And uh, I, I really like that angle uh, Speaking of her obsession here uh, The X-Men scene or I, I, I did it myself, I called them the X-Men They're not the X-Men yet uh, The... Scene at Summerhouse was um, maybe a page or three too long. Um, felt like they were talking in circles there. We have characters raising the same points over and over again, and uh, I don't think we needed that many pages. We also have uh, Cyclops looking like kind of an idiot. <laughs> not realizing. Not nobody is suggesting that the fact that Cerebro can't scan these children as a concern. Or as proof uh, that maybe they're not what they're portraying themselves to be. I don't know. It just seems a little bit weird. Um, but you know, we're 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 laying foundation here, and sometimes that's a uh, that's a bumpy ride. I have enough faith in uh, Vita Ayala here from their work in uh, New Mutants, which I absolutely adore, that this will come around and be a uh, satisfying experience. I don't know that I want it to be an ongoing. Um, Because we have way, way, way too many of those in the X-Men universe right now But, uh, hey, you know, I guess it's a a case of famine to feast Back to famine again for the X-Fans So I guess we should just enjoy what we have while we have it But uh, that's all I really have to say about this issue here I look forward to hearing uh, your guys' thoughts on uh, this brave new team And uh, how they uh, made a splash in the Marvel Universe here today Now, speaking of hearing from people, we got some mail today. We're going to check in with Damien first, who's talking about X-Force number 16. He says, I was was worried I'd be time-traveling with my comments as I'm waiting for Marvel Unlimited to get to the books that I'm not buying, and it's getting even worse, as Marvel Unlimited is not releasing comics in publication order anymore. What the hell, Marvel Unlimited? (laughs) That seems very, very counterproductive, doesn't it? Never worry about time traveling I mean, the show ain't going anywhere It'll always be here and I always love hearing from you So we'll always discuss whatever you're up to So that's uh, not a problem at all But that really stinks that uh, Unlimited's getting all wonky I don't know why they would do that Damien continues X-Force is generally one of my least favorite books But this was one of the better issues Everyone felt in character and there was an intriguing story You spoke about the character's trust in Krakoa, but what I found myself thinking was about my trust in the book. I don't know if I can trust Ben Percy to be going anywhere with his good ideas. I remain worried that we'll we'll end up back again with the Russian gangsters, and the possibilities of this issue will remain unaddressed. You never know, right? I don't know where... When did I talk about this? I think it might have been... With the Children of the Vault issue of X-Men that we covered um, not too long ago, very recently Where I talked about how it felt like everybody was waiting for Hickman to do something Before they could do something on their own No, oh, no, actually, no, I take that back It was during a one of the books that we had in Madripoor I think we have, like, Wolverine's in Madripoor right now Maraud is in Madripoor right now We got other books in Otherworld, and I mentioned that uh, it seems like everybody who's in the X-Brain Trust now is kind of just spinning their wheels and treading water waiting for this story to go somewhere, so they can't really address things that matter. So we have X-Force, this book, where they raise these interesting questions. And they, they've raised interesting questions in X-Force before. We had the whole suicide issue. We've had uh, not having your final wishes, uh, your, your resurrection request honored. But then, you know, the the flagship book of the line kind of just drags its feet. We get crossovers. We get all this weird stuff that just makes X-Force revert to type. Where, like you said, it's, it's Russian gangsters and Xeno. I mean... We were introduced to Xeno, like, almost two years ago, (laughs) and we don't know anything more about them just yet. I I feel like a lot of this is an exercise in in wheel spinning here, and just trying to do things that don't step on anybody else's feet. And that's, uh, that kind of stinks. Now, Damien continues. I wonder if the design of the underwater tumor is deliberately reminiscent of the monsters called by the Summoners in X of Tens, or if that's just part of the visual language of the current era. Maybe when Krakoa and Orocco tried to merge, there was some summoner jiggery-pokery. I love that term. Um, you know, I don't know. I think I think it's a thing where uh, Lovecraftian horrors are kind of just like the soup du jour, the villain du jour, the monster du jour. So uh, that's just the style of uh, baddie we're going to get, a style of monster. It's going to be these weird... Lovecraftian deals. I think that's kind of what it is here. And I, I'm pretty sure I mean, I don't know anything from anything, but I feel like what we saw in X of Tens was, was just that. You know, I don't know that there was any rhyme or reason to the shape or form of the uh, of the monsters. I think it was just like, hey, this looks cool. You know, and it's And thankfully there was no one yelling shuggeth, huggeth, fluggeth over it to really drive the point home, right? Um, Damien wraps up with, anyway, until we discover that Arako gave Krakoa an STD. Make my neck slapsed. Well, let's hope if that does happen they don't devote an entire issue to it, though. uh, I could certainly see that happening here. Um, Maybe it'll be another silent issue. I don't know. But uh, thank you so much, Damien It's always great to hear from you Whether you're live or Memorex or (laughs) time-traveling Whatever whatever the case, I love hearing from you So thank you so much Next up, we got Evan talking about Cable number 7 He says, The interruption by the Festival of Swords was unfortunate and awkward But I think Duggan made the best of it he could Including acknowledging it as Cable moved forward Or backward to the previous storyline The fact that he saw Strife and didn't tell anyone reminds me of how a friend of mine described the My Little Pony show that our kids watched. These episodes would only last two minutes if people would just talk to one another. I get Cable feeling responsible for Strife, and maybe he just doesn't want anyone to shut him out of taking him down. Still seems odd, though. Yeah, I agree. I agree. It does seem odd. And it also seems... I don't know. Like I said, when we... I don't remember if it was seven or eight, but... uh, the one where we found out that like everybody in the order of X is a clone of Cable, and it's like we've seen their faces before, and nobody noticed it. Nobody was able to like be like, "Hey, that looks like you, just older." And you're totally right. If uh, Cable would have just told Rachel, "Like, hey, Strife's back," and then they got the rest of the uh, the crew in on it, I almost called them the X-Men again. And there's no X-Men just yet, but uh, they would have gotten the rest of the crew in, and uh, they could have taken they could have taken Strife down, probably lickety split. But, uh, yeah, I think you know, we're, we are definitely headed somewhere. I just, uh, we have an idea of where this book is headed. Uh, we've seen covers to uh, issues 11 and 12, which might draw a line under something. But uh, yeah, we'll get there when we get there. Evan continues, I was going to make a snide comment asking why Strife isn't Krakoa's Secretary of the Interior or on the shortlist to replace Apocalypse on the Quiet Council, given the roles other XX villains are playing. But then the answer occurred to me. He's a clone. Evil is one thing, but clones. I guess Professor X and company still haven't gotten over the whole Ben Riley clone saga thing. Yeah, he t- uh, Charlie took it really hard. He uh, he uh, gave up the Spider-Man books when they said that Ben Riley was the one true Spider-Man. He wasn't alone though. A lot of a lot of us did. So uh, no, it's a, a great point. And if you're listening to this episode, hopefully you've already read cable number 8 where He and Domino or Domino mostly just uh wipes out a whole bunch of cable clones which just adds another another layer to the uh devaluing of clone life here and how clones are not considered uh I guess equal. They're not considered people, they're not considered mutants, they're not considered really anything, I suppose. Um the, I think the it's like the Quiet Council is just waiting for the last ones to die So they don't have to bring them back It's very, very weird But it is, it is giving us a lot of food for thought here And uh, I really enjoy that Evan continues Speaking of the Quiet Council How weird is it that Krakoa's government isn't elected But its team of unsanctioned superheroes is? Yup <laughs> That's an excellent point And it's Such a good point that they almost have to address that, right? They almost have to say something about that, where, I mean, they had to vote for, like you said, the unsanctioned X-Men. You know, a team that is just acting of its own volition, is not empowered. We don't know if they have the same sort of uh, rights as even X-Force. We know that X-Force is, you know, above protocol. We know that X-Factor is kind of up there, too, because they're... Kind of uh, vital in the resurrection process at this point But these X-Men Who knows Who knows what they're going to be And if they're going to be looked at or viewed the same way As the other X-Teams are Or if they're going to be looked at as like a renegade group It's going to be interesting It's going to be interesting And that's an excellent point that I really I think I've thought of it But I've never put it into words before And seeing it in words now That the Quiet Council were a group of people that just said Yeah, it's us, (laughs) you know, It's uh, Xavier's like, I'm assigning these people. And uh, no one had any say in it. So that's a very, very interesting point. Now Evan wraps up with, well, until the Scarlet Spider gets invited to Krakoa before the juggernaut, make my next lapsed. And we know that would happen. We know the the Scarlet Spider would do that. Um, It reminds me of an April Fool's gag in the early... Well, I guess not the early days of the internet, but the relatively early days of the internet. Probably 1998 or so. I was on... I think it was... uh, I think it's Eric Moreels who had like one of the top X-Men fan sites on the internet. Maybe the only X-Men fan site at this point. I think it was xfan.net or .com. I wouldn't try that website now because I'm sure it's not that anymore, but... He put up an April Fool's gag or it was a news item and I think I think Marvel actually uh, did this news item here, but they discovered that uh, Spider-Man was actually a mutant because this was back in the day before mutant was a four-letter word. and the folks on the site absolutely lost their minds over it and it was uh, it was one of those like you couldn't be in between on this one. this was like one extreme or the other. you either... Loved it because we were getting X, we were getting Spider-Man on the X-Men. Or you absolutely despised it. And the thing of it was, is that it was such a good prank because you could totally see Marvel doing it. This is like right after the Clone Saga, like a year removed from the Clone Saga where Peter Parker wasn't Spider-Man anymore. So like the, the rules, there, there weren't any rules. Anything can happen here. And the X-Men were the sales powerhouse. And it would stand to reason, like, hey, we need to give Spider-Man a boost. Let's, let's give him an X-Belt, you know? It's, I remember falling for that, and I got excited for it. I was on the side where I was like, oh, cool, we'll have Spider-Man on the X-Men, which, I mean, looking back now is absolutely ridiculous, but at the time, I, I totally fell for it. So I could totally see Ben Riley showing up on Krakoa, especially before Juggernaut. But thank you so much. For writing in, Evan. I really, really appreciate it. Now, if anybody out there would like to write in and be part of the mailbag, I would love for you to do so. You could find me several different ways. You can find me on Twitter at Ace Comics, or you can shoot me an email over to Weird Comics at gmail.com. For blog posts and show notes, you can go over to Chris's on you can chat us up on Facebook. Our little group is 90s X Men, where right now we're actually talking a little bit about that Hellfire Gala guidebook, source book, whatever they're calling it. That thing, the freebie that you all should go and get. We're talking about it there, and uh, we're sharing images and uh, some theories as well. So, having a good time. I hope to see you there. Uh, there's also an Instagram I don't use it's 90s X Men. And finally, for all your Chris and Reggie listening needs, you can go to chrisandreggie.podbean.com, which is available anywhere you can find noise and sound on the Internet. And if you like what you hear there, or at least appreciate the effort behind it, I would love for you to tell a few people. Spread the word. share Share the link. Share the show. All that happy, happy stuff. I would really, really appreciate it. But that is where we leave it for today. I'd like to thank you all so, so much for sharing your time with me, And until next time, as always, I'll talk to you again real soon. See ya.